0: Welcome to Fully Vetted, animal care news from the clinic to the farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. So welcome to the Fully Vetted podcast brought to you by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. My name is Mia Cunningham, and today I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Stephen Budsberg to the show. Dr. Budsberg is going to be kicking off the first session in the canine spectrum of care tracker programming, Friday, February 23rd at the 2024 Midwest Veterinary Conference. So welcome to the show, Dr. Budsberg. Thank you. So, before we get into you know the sessions that you'll be assisting with, um, can you give us a bit about your your background in vet med?
1: Well, I went to vet school at Washington State sometime before dirt was formed, um, and was classmates with Barney Rubble and Fred Flintstone. I went from there to Angel Memorial, and then did my residency at Michigan State. I taught at LSU, and then I was Georgia for way too long and have retired, which is somewhat true. It's kind of like nailing jello to a wall, Um, but I'm hopefully getting retired. Uh, I think they're hoping that too. Um, And uh, my career as an orthopedic surgeon primarily, and then the rest of what I've done scientifically is done a lot of work in pain and osteoarthritis, but one of my big areas has been, since the early 90s, is looking at clinical trials, uh, developing clinical trials, trying to help people learn what clinical trials consist of, what is a good trial, what isn't. Um, you know, veterinary medicine just is replete with, you know, retrospective reviews which have a place to deny everything. And in the last 30 years, we've certainly come a long ways. And so that's that's pretty much what I've done. Um, more recently, as I've uh, kind of transitioned out of the clinics and a research, I have worked with the Stanton Foundation, with the Spectrum of Care concept, and have gotten uh, quite involved in that, um, both from a standpoint of promoting idea of care as not access of care spectrum of care um and then also generating data for veterinarians when they are trying to perform the spectrum of care that we've all done all our lives and uh, a lot of the times, people have not been able they they wanted to do different things but they haven't had data to support them for specific disease or what process and so they Talk to the owner about, this is the plan I think we should take. And for whatever reason, you know, and there's lots of them, that is not the option. And then so they have to step, not back, but step over to another plan, which honestly, in most cases, doesn't have very much data to support. Um, And that's where we're trying to come in and provide that data in all facets of of small and medicine.
0: Well, I'm definitely looking forward to getting to learn more about the spectrum of care, um, but the one thing that I did not hear you mention across your illustrious career is that you were recently um, awarded something back in November. So I just wanted to acknowledge oh, that and congratulate yeah. you, yeah, on the um, the Founder's Career Achievement Award. Yeah, the, the, College the, American, the American, American College of Veterinary Surgeons.
1: Yeah. founded worthy of me to become their lifetime achievement award. I mean, just um, so you know, just a small thing. It, yeah. is, it's just one of those it's, it is one of those awards that you. It's nice because it's awarded by your peers, okay. and that probably makes it more special than any other awards you might win from some other institution. These people know. It. I can
0: imagine. And
1: with the College of Surgeons, you have to get 75% of them to say yes. Oh, wow. And that's kind of like herding cats. I mean, getting 75% of surgeons to say anything is pretty limited. <laughs> uh, we're all legends in our own minds. So yeah, that happened. That was fun.
0: So not only do you, you know your stuff, but you're well-regarded amongst your peers. So we're, we're really excited to have you. So. Thank you. Well, as I mentioned, you're going to be kicking off the series with an introductory section on spectrum of care. So if we can start there, because I feel like we've been hearing the term spectrum of care quite a bit, um, but it still might be a relatively new concept for people. So in a nutshell, can you explain what spectrum yeah. of care is and, and why it's such a hot topic now?
1: Well. I think one, the term spectrum of care has been hijacked by a lot of different people, just like you've had all sorts of terms. Evidence based medicine has been hijacked. There's, you know, you got to watch it. But what you need to really understand is spectrum of care is a concept. It is not synonymous with access to care. Okay. But it is a methodology of providing veterinarians and with an owners with a spectrum of options when treating a specific problem. I think that's the most important way of the easiest way to think of it. And probably the example that we all use is you know if, if a primary care vet has a patient and a client and they recommend referral and either the owner can't are they are not geographically able, variety of reasons. That comes off the table. Then it basically boils down to, and still part of the whole access is, what does the veterinarian's knowledge base? What do they feel comfortable with? What are, what are the owners feel comfortable with? And so it's a, it is a spectrum of choices for a given problem. And part of what Stanton Foundation is trying to do is as I said alluded to earlier is providing um, in more information so that when you're in that spectrum you can say okay if this isn't this isn't the choice you want to make then here are some other options and here's some data to support those options they're not they may not be as high in the percentage of success but they're they're their options for more so it's basically trying to Everybody educated. And in the second part, when my talk is basically two parts, the first part is talking about spectrum of care, which uh, in the second part is talking about crucial injury within the context of spectrum of care. But I think it's really important to remember that spectrum of care is not based solely on finances. In other words, panic for the quote gold standard, which can't stand that term. But and so now we're in spectrum of care. No spectrum of care is from no treatment to all the way to whatever is considered the optimum treatment. It's all of that. And again, it's all based or predicated on, as I said earlier, the veteran knowledge base, their comfort level with what they can do, their facilities, their equipment, the owners, you know, values, their finances, one of the part, but it's not the only part. I and mean, I think we need to keep Emphasizing it's not all about money. Okay, so
0: that's because a common misconception.
1: Practicing, yeah, practicing spectrum of care, veterinarians can still make a living. I think that's really important to understand is this isn't the Wild West where you just try anything. It is you are able to practice and still, as a professional and as a business person, make a living, but you're also providing your owner with a variety of options. That both of you agree with. It's all about communication. One of the things I think really important to, to note is that many times when people start talking about spectrum care, veterinarians, especially oh, owner veterinarians, get very concerned about the litigious nature about, oh, we, if we don't do the state of the art, we could get sued. That simply doesn't happen. There are three studies in three, three different states one in the West, one in the Midwest, one in the South, where they went back and looked at the suits that were brought or the, the potential for, you know, litigious nature of, or um, malpractice, etc. And it's it's almost unheard of. Um, veterinarians who do have problems end up in front of state boards, and it's usually about record keeping or communication. So it's rarely about you know, malpractice per se. And so we have a that's one of the big hurdles is to get people to say, well, I'm not gonna offer anything but the top of the line because I don't want to get sued. And that's just not the data doesn't support that that theory. So um, with this yeah and, and the second part of the the discussion, I'm gonna talk about crucial injuries and the repair or management of those injuries within a spectrum. Everything from no treatment, which we, you know, we have some data where that moves, to one of the osteotomy-type repairs, there's a number of them, um, which are considered the, the gold standards, and one has got more data. What's really interesting with cruise injuries, we actually have really good data on a variety of techniques done in very good clinical trials. So we can come along and say, yeah, the TPLO, which is the most common acronym, um, osteotomy, we have great data that shows that 95% of those dogs get back to the previous, where they were prior to the injury, which is the most expensive um, and takes the most technical knowledge you have to be, you, know, you have to really know what you're doing to do those. Then the extra capsules, and, and there are a variety of good God, there's like 30 of them now. I don't know, I lost count. Everybody gets their acronym and they're happy, um, but they all do basically the same. Okay. Then you get into the middle, which are the kind of the old, quote unquote, old school, the um, extra capsular techniques, and we have data that shows that many of those dogs true. Now, do they get to the level of the DPLO? No, most don't, as a population. There are individuals that do. But when we do clinical we'll trials, we look at populations. But from a from a technical standpoint, they're easier to perform. They're not more people can do them well. And from a cost standpoint, they're anywhere from one fifth to one fourth the cost And you know, depending on where you live, geographically, etc so you think know, maybe one half of them. so you're talking about a significant cost difference but are they you know clinically uh, do they clinically do as well no they don't it, you know, as a general to give you an idea the TPLOs are you know, about a 95% chance of them you know improving back to uh, a normal state and if you look at the data from a couple of great studies done in the mid 2000s somewhere around 70 to 80% of the um, extra capsulars return. So, and some don't ever. So, but it does give the veterinarian and we do have data where you don't do any surgery with just physical therapy and those dogs come do well, you know, but it's not that that's a bad idea. What it is, is we now have a spectrum for someone to look at and say, here's the data, if you choose not to do surgery and do physical therapy, here's the, odds you have and here's what you can expect. if you want the extra capsular which we can do at this, I'm at a clinic and I've done these I can do this and here's the data to support or we can refer you to a surgeon who does this and here's the data so it's one of the few places where we really have a great set of data to you know give people all of those options and we're going to talk
0: so it sounds like our attendees are gonna be in phenomenal hands and walk away with tools that they can use like most immediately. Um, well, so yeah, I think that's yeah, important that's hard for people cool. to hear. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, you know, we get questioned about as well, believe it or not, is just kind of like what your um, lecture style is like. So if someone comes and sits down in your session, um, is it gonna be interactive? Like, you know, what can they anticipate when they sit down with you? Yeah.
1: All four of the people that are going to be giving talks, um, they're all interactive. Uh, in fact, we're, you know, it can be interactive to a point. Um, if, at some point, you, if you have some people that are very aggressive or very, uh, you know, persistent, I'll be polite. Uh, you have to you know, move along. But, uh, certainly, um, having given some of these talks, you know, you stop and you ask, you know, does anybody have questions or you know, is there something somebody wants to say before we move on to another point? So they're not going to be the standard lecture, you sit there and, you know, listen and at the end maybe ask a question or two. We, we do have interactive between all from all of the lecturers the and the, the um, participants.
0: So, we'll just transition from there to the final session because you're, you're going to be um, moderating a, a panel right. discussion for us. And there are several, several reputable doctors that will be participating, um, yep. Robert Knapp, Mike Dyer, Janessa Winston, Elizabeth Rosansky, and Dr. Emily Cobb. Can you give us kind of just like a feel of like what the purpose of the panel is?
1: Yeah, there's, if you look at those people and you look at their professional situations, you've got, General, general practitioners, a couple of um, owners of uh, clinics, and you have some academics. And the goal is to, for each one of them to be able to, you know, one, discuss their, um, the topic they talk about, if people have questions, and you know, but the real goal is to be interactive about, you know, asking questions. And one of the first questions that comes up is, you know, can we be finance? can this be financially, you know, doable for us in practice. And Mike Dyer, who's one of the the um, speakers, has, owns multiple clinics, and, you know, he can still speak to that. Um, and, you know, some of the other ones, we're going to be talking more about the, the options. For instance, there's one, there's going to be a discussion on parvovirus and management of that. And what are there? Because that's actually another area where we have some pretty good data from everything from intensive care down to outpatient and what the pros and cons are and what are the successes. So that'll be discussed. but it's, it's, it's gonna be a kind of a wide ranging discussion, which, you know, I have some, as the moderator, I have questions that I will ask, but honestly we want to probably have the discussion kind of flow from the participants and from the speakers and try to get each speaker to be able to discuss their area, um, you know, specifically.
0: So that's good to know, because that was one of the things I wanted to understand if, if audience participation was going to be um, permitted. So I think that that will help to make it, you know, a really well-rounded conversation.
1: Yeah, that that session will be almost all, I mean, that session will be the classic. The moderator will ask a, a specific person one question and then open it up to the, to the, to the masses. And then when they, they finish their discussion or if it becomes, you know, somewhat tiresome, for any everyone, we'll move on to the
0: next. Yeah, and I think a nice addition to that is um, there's going to be a coffee break rig right before the panel. You know, sponsored yep. by the Stanton Foundation, and so attendees will have the chance to just kind of talk and maybe meet with you know the panelists yourself oh, yeah. you know, before you know we even get up and do the panel. So hopefully that'll kind of help break the ice and um, get people more engaged and excited about participating.
1: That, that has been very effective. Oh, we've, that's already been done, and that's very effective.
0: Good. Okay. So, per my understanding, registration is not required for the coffee.
1: Nope. Just like any meeting, you walk into the session. It's one of the sessions.
0: So, it's easy, you know? So, if you're out there yeah. listening, just come on in, have coffee, meet the speakers, and hang out with us for a bit. Um, and one thing that I did want to ask that I didn't um, mention earlier is that, you know, again, there are going to be multiple sessions in that spectrum of care track. Do they build upon one another, or do they exist independently?
1: Uh, mine will be the, the initiator, which will basically build on the content of the spectrum of care and use an example. But then each one is basically a separate product.
0: Okay. So if someone wants to, you know, attend one or two sessions, they can, or they're welcome to just, in, you know, attend the entire uh, session. For-
1: just like anything else, they want to walk in and walk out. They can. You know, uh, each session's got a title with a speaker and it's just like any other meeting people pick and choose on the ones they wanna come and listen to, that's fine.
0: Awesome, well, thank you so much for joining me. You bet. Well, I appreciate you, thank you so much. No worries, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, for those of you listening and um, who may not have registered for the Midwest Veterinary Conference yet, there is still plenty of time to register. So please visit mvcinfo.org. We have over 300 hours of in-person CE available and 127 hours of virtual and on-demand programming that will be available February 26th through August 26th. We've also got some fantastic hands-on labs on Friday, February 25th, both the Dental Radiographic Positioning Lab with Dr. Burning and Aquaculture Fish Necropsy and Certification Sampling Lab with Drs. Hickey and Kevis. Are hot tickets, so you want to make sure that you reserve your spot soon. So until next time, make sure you follow the Fully Vetted podcast on your favorite listing platform for the latest animal care news from the clinic to the farm. That's a wrap on today's episode. Special thanks to today's guest for joining us on the show. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. As always, please feel free to visit fullyvettedpodcast.com for show notes and to provide listener feedback. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to follow Fully Vetted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Like the show? Please submit a quick rating and comment on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners like you. Until next time, stay safe and be well.